You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Chuck Bryant. Where? Right there. Okay. This is Stuff You Should Know. Chuck, put your cool guy hat back on. There you go. Sorry. Chuck is wearing one of those newsy caps. It's his newest thing. The flat cap. They're in style. And I'm a stylish guy. He's he's coming on up. Up next is floor-length mink coat. Yeah. I can totally see it. (laughs) Right. Faux mink. Think. Sure. Um, Yeah, because who wants red paint or blood thrown all over him when they walk down the street? Um. Chuck, I have an anecdote for you. I don't I don't want to know. All right. Well, I need to come up with another segue then. No. Go ahead. Okay. So back before we knew each other, uh, years and years ago, my uh, I had a whole group of friends, good friends. My dad was there. Both of my brothers-in-law were there. Um, and one of my great all-time friends, Tom Sheeve, who actually writes for this site. Oh, yeah. He I knows for years. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good friend. Uh, he came down from Tennessee. He was living in Johnson City, Tennessee at the time. And Tom brought with him to the party a pint of moonshine. Oh, yeah. Just perfectly crystal clear moonshine. Yeah, rot gut. And there was a – no, 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 believe me. Whoever made this knew exactly what they were doing. Um, there was a peach in the bottom even. Oh, nice. And um, one of my friends uh, who, who was probably the youngest one at the party, kind of a little punk at the time. Yeah. Um, just jokingly, you know, grabbed the moonshine and walked over to my dad, who was in his 60s at the time. Right. Uh, and said, hey, Mal, you want to do some shots? And my dad grabbed the pint and it, it just went from there. Those two drank the whole thing and my dad matched a 21-year-old kid wow. shot for shot. Wow. Of moonshine. Man. And it gets better. And then, after they were finished, my dad ate the peach. Wow. My dad ate the peach, Chuck. Yeah, and I imagine that thing uh, really had soaked up quite a bit of booze. It, it really had. My dad has no recollection of this event. Ah, um, But perfect. it's kind of become, uh, around my family, uh, this uh, this kind of badge of honor. He ate right. the peach, you know, that right. kind of thing. So anytime somebody does something, like, really cool or tough or un- unexpected, you know, the, he ate the peach. Sure. So... That was my segue into how moonshine works. That's good. I like that. Yeah? Yeah. Have you have you ever tasted moonshine? Oh yeah, yeah. I've drank I've drank it before. Yeah. I actually lived in, in Johnson City for a little while. I knew some people um, that lived there as well. And I gotta tell you, man, it is Appalachia. Like around I actually lived outside, kind of up on a mountain. Uh-huh. Um Around the corner from people who lived in school buses with chimneys coming. I'm not kidding. Wow. Uh, on Roan Mountain. 
uh-huh. uh, and there are tons of stills still around. Like you can get moonshine from anybody up there. Yeah, and the people they all know what they're doing. They're not doing it for you know profit or anything like that. These are people who you know guys who are like into home brewing. Sure, but imagine if like you're in home brewing and your grandfather taught you how to do it. You know, that kind of thing. Like, they know exactly what they're doing. They take a bunch of pride in it. And then, you know, you just kind of get it from a friend or something. And it's actually really cheap. It's like 10 bucks for a quart or something like that. Yeah, I've never paid for it. I've had it quite a few times, too, at various parties. You know, someone, like you said, will just show up out of nowhere with a jar, a mason Mm -hmm. jar. And I always kind of befriend that person because I'd I'd love the taste of moonshine. Yeah. It's really uh, tough to, to stomach, but there's something about the corn whiskey. Yeah. But I think right now is the point that we should say that it's illegal. Very. and In any form. Yeah, we do not encourage anyone to go out and build their own still, even though we're going to tell you how to. <laughs> yeah. And this is also based on an article you can find on HowStuffWorks.com in the recipe section, if sure. that doesn't tell you something right. right there. I don't know what that says about us. But. Yeah. Well, we have recipes for moonshine on our site. That's what so. it says. All right. So, Chuck... Let, let's let's talk about moonshine a little bit. Where okay. should we where should we start? Well, I think we should travel back in time a bit uh, to Great Britain, to the UK. Oh yeah, hello yeah, where, to our where English friends. Where does the word friends. come from? Great thinking. Right, the word moonshine actually comes from England. Originally, the term started from a verb, uh, moonshining, which was right. uh, referred to any job that you did late at night, like the midnight shift was moonshining. Right, and it eventually just kind of morphed into. Uh, making illegal booze because uh, they did it at night, you know, under cover of the night. Well, not only did they make it, they also ran it, which is a different word. Bootlegging, bootlegging. right? It was it was smuggled at night, right? And that, if you want to know the the I do from uh, the word there is from uh, they would stick it in their high boots, the bottles in their the high riding boots. boots, right? Yeah, the riding boots. Yeah, that's how they smuggled it. So bootleggers. I really choked that out there. This is a <laughs> this is this is a during colonial times, uh-huh. right? Yeah. Okay, so uh, these are distinct words like a moonshiner and a bootlegger may be one and the same. But it, it depends on the activity they're engaged in at any given time, right. right? So the moonshiner actually makes the stuff. The bootlegger smuggles it. Right. And there's a third one, actually, too, a rum runner. Which is by sea, correct? It's a bootlegger who, who smuggles by sea. Yeah. It's all very, like, very cool. it's it, yes, this wonderful, hazy past of smuggling ships and riding horses right. with... Filled with, you know, with boots filled with whiskey. Right. Yeah. Very cool. Let's try not to romanticize it. Huh? Yeah, you're right. Um, I think, though, I, I'm going to set you up here because I know this is your favorite part of this whole podcast. Uh, in the 1940s and 50s uh, in the United States, they started doing this by car. Started filling up their trunk full of moonshine and bootlegging high-speed chases mm-hmm. and go. And actually, this this uh, these people would tinker with their cars. Um, the, the, you got these kind of backwoods mechanics who learned to take like a, a Ford V8 and right. turn it into this supercharged, turbo-boosted, yeah. uh, wonderfully suspended uh, car that could outrun any cop in the Georgia mountains right. or whatever. Think of the Dukes of Hazard, that kind of thing. And that these guys actually kind of became gearheads. Right. And they started challenging one another to races. Yep. And out of that came NASCAR. Yeah. NASCAR is directly descended from bootlegging. Yes. Yep. So, and actually, the first guy, I love this. I love this fact. The the first guy to uh, win an official NASCAR race, yeah. his name was uh, Glenn Dunaway. And he won uh, the first official race on December 12th, 1948, in Daytona, Florida. Right. Um, he won the race but was disqualified because the it's a stock car racing. You're not supposed to have a modified. Right. Um, and he had an illegal wedge uh, to, for, to, for handling. Right. right? 
so he was disqualified, uh, but he actually won the first race. So the reason he had the wedge was because he used that car to smuggle a bunch of whiskey the week earlier. Right. In North Carolina. Same car. Yep. I know that's your fate. You should just end it right now. Yeah. It doesn't get any better than that I'm to you. I'm just going to go to sleep. Can you yeah. take the rest of yeah, the Yeah, I'll podcast? take it from here. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, you talked about um, rum running, which is by sea. And uh, bootlegging, or I'm sorry, moonshine is, is made of corn, generally. In the U.S., it's almost exclusively made of corn. But it can be made of any grain, right? Correct. Yeah. But, uh, for or the, fruit. True. Past- Anything that has starches in it. Right. But yeah. it's generally in the U.S. made, you, you hear it referred to as corn whiskey. Mm-hmm. So you need uh, cornmeal, sugar, yast, and water. Every alcoholic beverage, I think, needs yeast. Is that true? I, I don't I don't. Know. I know beer does. You've really put me on the spot here. I know. Someone's going to well, write actually, in and tell us. I've got something for you. Part of the process of making whiskey involves the same process as you use to make beer, right? Right. Um, it's, it's fermentation. Exactly. And technically, apparently, among the uh, distilleries... The word that they use for the fermented alcohol before it's distilled is beer. So apparently any alcohol that goes through a fermentation process uh-huh. is technically called beer. I did not know that. So wine would technically be beer. Right. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Okay, but that's just step one. And the, and the, the fermentation process is basically just adding um, yeast to whatever grain there is, right. and the yeast goes to town on it. They're very simple plants, actually. Um, they they ingest this stuff, and as a byproduct, they put out carbon dioxide and alcohol. Right. And what that stuff's called is mash. Yes. So this fermented stuff is, is called mash, mm-hmm. and um, you take the mash, and now we get into the distilling process. Right. Well, then you heat it up. Yes. To about 172 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm-hmm. And uh, wood, coal, you can use anything. Basically, you want uh, you can use steam to heat it up. Sure. Now they use propane, I understand. Sure. Because, you know, yeah. you figure. Uh, and uh, what happens is, from there, the alcohol evaporates. Uh, pressure builds up, and the alcohol steam is forced through an arm, which is a, a cap arm, which is a pipe mm-hmm. that leads out of the top of the still. Right. So you have this evaporation going on. And uh, then it goes into a what they call a thump keg. Right, and it's so named because it, it catches sometimes some of this mash uh, comes along with the alcohol vapor, and it, when it comes into this hollow keg and hits the bottom, it makes a thumping sound. Exactly. So this thump keg is, is intended to further separate the mash from the alcohol vapor. Right. Can you imagine, like, inhaling alcohol vapor? What would that do to you? I don't know. It's probably not very good. No, okay. So, so we're in the thump keg now. Can you hear us? Right. Okay. We're in the thumb cake. Can you hear us? We are. Sour mash. Mash. Nice. Nice. So, okay, Chuck, what's going on in here? Well, in the thump keg, um, like you said, the, the bits of mash drop into inside of here where we are, and then it re-evaporates the alcohol and filters out the mash because you don't want the mash. What you want is a clear liquid. All right, so up we go out of the thump keg, and where are we now? Up and out of the thump keg, and now we travel into the worm um, as steam. Yes. Now, this is the the most fun part of the ride because the worm is actually basically just a pipe that coils around. Right. So if we were actually able to go through it, it would probably be kind of like a fun water slide. Yeah. And this worm actually, this, this coiled um, pipe actually is just going through cold water, uh-huh. uh, which cools the alcohol from its gaseous state back exactly. into its liquid state. Yep. And guess where that arm comes out? Uh, well, it comes out eventually into a little jar 
Yep. Or it, whatever the, you want to put it in. That's the spigot, and then you bottle it right from there. Right. And I said mason jar because many times it's, it's I don't know if it's tradition or not, but they put it in mason I've jars. I've never seen it in anything but a mason jar. Yeah, me too. Maybe a ball jar. That's about it. Right. And uh, what happens is now you've got a, a clear liquid, and that uh, brings us to the the difference between moonshine and regular whiskey that you would get that's brown yeah. or you know light-colored is uh, the aging process. Uh, moonshine is not aged, and that's why it remains clear. Your Jack Daniels that you love, mm-hmm. uh, that is the same thing for a little while, but then it's aged for years in uh, oak barrels, charred oak barrels. Yeah, and I looked into the charring part. Uh, the reason they char the inside of the oak barrels, they're actually caramelizing the starches, Interesting. which makes it sweeter. Right. So the um, the, the the bourbon, this is a, the part of the bourbon-making process, the bourbon actually absorbs the sugars more, which make, gives it a sweeter taste right. and mellows it even further. Right. But it also gives it its brown color. Right, because moonshine is known for the, the they call it the kick. Yes. And uh, both of us can attest, it is a very harsh-tasting whiskey. Yeah, it really is. It definitely has a kick. I and it tastes like nothing else that you've had. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for timed tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. No, it's it, it tastes like God pulling your throat out. <laughs> you kind of see a white light, and there's just like a sudden blinding flash of pain, and that's the kick. Wow, that's, uh, uh, that's a great... It's a great way to describe it. Well, no, thanks, wouldn't Jeff. have thought of that. Yeah, it's good. Um, it's also very potent. Um, I think moonshine usually is uh, in the neighborhood of 120 to 150 proof, which is a lot. Yeah, that's a lot because uh, what is it? 80 proof or 90 proof is what? 150 proof would be 75 percent alcohol. Right, but your average like bottle of bourbon is is 90 proof, correct? Yeah, 80 or 90. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, wild turkeys they have a special 100. So yeah, true. Yeah, probably 80. Josh, if I didn't know any better, I'd say that you imbibe with an alcoholic beverage from time to time. No, I just time. pay attention. Okay. That's all. Good. Um, so uh, they make the moonshine, and one of the problems with moonshine, I guess we need to talk about the downside, is that it, it can be dangerous if someone doesn't know what they're doing. Yeah, here's the big problem. This is why all of you shouldn't run out and make your own still, as Chuck said earlier, because... Because it's illegal. That's that's number one. It is illegal. One of the reasons it's illegal is because it's so thoroughly unsafe. 
So, I mean, like when you make beer or wine at home, which you can legally because you're making it in small batches, but right. number two, it's not nearly as dangerous. Whenever you make any kind of alcohol, uh-huh. you have a risk of, um, of of there being impurities in your batch, right? right? Yeah. Um, and these impurities can be dangerous in beer or wine, but it's much less likely when compared to spirits like whiskey. Um, and these these impurities are called uh, congeners, mm-hmm. right? And what those are, it's, it's just a catch-all name for any impurity that's a complex compound, right. like a polyphenol. Um, or histamine, you know, those things that give, give you allergic reactions. Right. These can easily end up in your batch, and this is why people often die right. from drinking moonshine. It's not just from alcohol poisoning or anything like that. It's, right. it's these impurities get in there and wreak havoc on your body. Yeah, I would say not as much anymore. I mean, not that it's a huge business or anything, but during Prohibition, I know there were a lot of people that were dying because they were in su- it was in such demand because it was alcohol was illegal. Mm-hmm. That uh, they were mixing it too fast, and the operation sped up, and and they, they actually sometimes purposely put impurities in there true. to give it that kick, uh, yeah. like bleach. Yeah, was was uh, often found in in moonshine during prohibition. Right. This always uh, it's funny we mentioned that it's called Mash. It always reminds me of the TV show Mash, one of my favorite shows growing up, uh, because you know they had their still in the uh, in, what was the name of their the swamp. Yeah. In their tent. Yeah, they had and, a gin uh, distillery, didn't they? Well, they called it gin, but it's looking back now. This is before I ever had moonshine when I watched MASH, but it was probably just corn whiskey. I doubt if they were able to make, like, nice gin. I always took it as gin. No, I bet it, I bet it was moonshine. I don't know, man. They were sipping it like it was gin. All right, Alan Alda needs to get in touch with us. Yes, please. And, or the uh, guy who played BJ or Trapper. Sure. Any of them, really. Just no radar. No radar. I was about to say yeah, the same do thing. Do not call us. So uh, Chuck, you know, Moonshine um, has actually a really long history with the U.S. And it's so much so, it's so ingrained uh, that it has it's had this kind of symbiotic effect on our cultural legacy. True. Um, when you start looking into Moonshine, like NASCAR being you know, gr- coming out of Moonshine. Right, yeah. Or, or the term bootlegger that's used world brown came from the United States and our, our smuggling, right? Uh-huh. Um, but when you really start to look into the history of Moonshine and how it, it helps shape America, we used to be a nation of crazy gun-slinging nut jobs. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we used to be wild. Yeah. Oh, especially yeah. like in the 19th century. Uh-huh. Um, bootleggers used to the whole the whole reason bootlegging was ever around in the US was because uh, basically right after uh, we formed our nation mm-hmm. our, our second government the the one we have now the constitutional government um they started imposing taxes right, on on liquor. On, on liquor yeah and everybody had just said well wait a minute we just got out uh, from under the the thumb of a, a king who used to tax us, right? We're not paying any taxes. Yeah, and they didn't. They no, they didn't. And actually, um, they would attack revenuers, yeah, tax collectors. Uh-huh. They would tar and feather them. Yeah, which it sounds kind of funny now because we're so removed from it. That was actually apparently an extremely excruciating process. You, oh, I'm you sure. had hot tar poured on you. Yeah, it's not. And a... then you know the feathers were probably nothing but a relief. Right. But you're walking around and imagine trying to get cooled tar off of your skin. No, thanks. Yeah, so I, I imagine being tarred and feathered wasn't that much fun. Uh, but even beyond that, they actually formed an armed uprising called right. the Whiskey Rebellion. Yeah, in 1794. Yeah, and that was uh, Washington's uh, first big wow right. as like, president. Holy crap, I'm president, and yeah. they just took over Pittsburgh. And it was like people from a lot of states, there were thousands of them, mm-hmm. they were armed and they were mad. They did not want to pay 
money or taxes on the the liquor they were producing. Right. Um, and it was actually the the first use of a uh, presidential pardon to overturn conviction was from the Whiskey Rebellion. Did not know that. It is true. So what GW did, uh, which is George Washington, of course, mm-hmm. he uh, got together um, a militia of about 13,000 dudes, mm-hmm. and he basically quelled and dispersed the mob uh, captured its leaders, and it was, like you said, forever known as the Whiskey Rebellion. But there was nothing, nothing was actually resolved. Well, right. That's, that's the, the, the government and bootleggers, they, they go side by side, and every once in a while, usually when war funding is needed, the government attacks bootlegging. Right. To try to increase its, its tax revenues. Um, so the, basically, the federal government went its way, and bootleggers went their way, and right. they maintained the status quo, basically. Uh-huh. We kept having bootlegging. No one really had a problem with it until the Klan got involved. Right. And any American knows that in the United States, you can do whatever you want as long as you're not hurting anybody mm-hmm. and you're not affiliated with the Klan. Right. Everybody hates the Klan here. Yeah, that's I think the Ku Klux Klan, that, just yeah, to clear Yeah, up. the Ku Klux Klan. I think that's something that people, you know, maybe some of our Norwegian or, or Dutch listeners might not understand. Right. Americans hate the Klan. We do. And this actually um, kind of led to uh, this outlaw view of bootleggers that we have now. So they were getting into shootouts and killing IRS auditors and collectors right. and um, intimidating families and you know locals even right. who knew like where it still was. Well, bootleggers joined forces and made the mistake, the big mistake of joining up with the Klan. Right, that's what I mean. Yeah. So that turned the tide of public opinion. All of a sudden, bootleggers aren't just you know so harmless anymore. They're in with the Klan. Right. So um, that actually gave the temperance movement uh, even more of a foothold. Yeah. The temperance movement is my worst nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> it is um, basically. No, there's no alcohol produced or imported into the United States. Uh-huh. Imagine the entire country dry. This is the point of the temperance movement. And they weren't just, you know, crackpots. They, they were actually, they had identified alcohol as an agent of moral decay, right. social decay. Right. It was a problem. So rather than, and this is before rehab too. Oh, yeah. Rather than um, having alcoholics go dry out or take care of their their problem, their addiction, they said, we have a social responsibility to not tempt our alcoholics. Right. We have to put them above the rest of us because the rest of us aren't alcoholics, so we don't need a drink. So let's just get rid of alcohol together so our alcoholics can can be good people. Yeah, bad idea. Yeah, well, it it actually happened. They finally got prohibition pushed through in in 1920, 1920. the day the earth stood still. Uh, and it lasted um, from 1920 to 1934, and it actually turned out to be the greatest thing that ever happened to bootlegging. Yeah, because all of a sudden people – there's one thing that they learned from Prohibition is you can try and take away the alcohol, but the people want it, and they're going to get it. And I would liken it to the war on drugs. Yeah, oh, it's, this, it's the exact same thing. Anytime you prohibit anything, number one, it, it makes it um, – it gives it kind of a forbidden – feel, sure, which mystique. makes it all the more desirable. Yeah, um, But, I mean, think about how many people wouldn't or don't drink now be, just because it's there. Right. How many more would if you simply couldn't? Yeah. And, yeah, if Prohibition proved anything, it's that if when there's a will, organized crime finds a way. True. So we've got speakeasies. We've got gangland murders. Uh-huh, we've got um, moonshine that's being put out. It's being overproduced and watered down and, right. and with bleach added. And then all of a sudden, prohibition goes away. Yes. And almost 
almost at the same time, so does moonshining almost yeah. entirely. Dra- well, drastically reduced. Sure. And but it came made a big well I don't know about a big comeback but it made a comeback as we talked about later on uh, with the the whole NASCAR thing, and then in um, the 1970s, uh, 60s and 70s, they thought it was sort of a problem again, but they didn't really do a lot about it. Like there's very few court cases about it. Yeah. Unless it has to do with I think they'll tie like money laundering. Yeah. Now they tax go after them using money laundering laws, which are way way worse than than. You know, moonshining, being convicted of moonshining. Right. Um, and with that, moonshining is becoming a dying art. Right. But they still do it. And then in the 1970s, they made it legal to make your own wine and beer with homebrew uh, enthusiasts. So still, this, it's not the same You can't make your thing. own whiskey. Yeah, you still can't make your own whiskey. I mean, whiskey. you can, but it's illegal. Yeah. We'll say it one more time, Chuck. It's illegal. It I'm kind of surprised, actually, if they allow homebrewing. It's, it's sort of a... Uh, maybe because it's more dangerous is the reason. That's that's the impression I have. Yeah, it's, it's strictly because it's more dangerous. Because I don't think they they levy taxes any any higher on beer or wine than they do on liquor, do they? I don't know. I'm sure we'll have someone write in and tell us. I'm though. quite <laughs> sure too. Well, uh, you can find out even more about how moonshine works by typing that in to our handy search bar at howstuffworks.com. It'll bring up a fine, fine article written by our colleague Ed Grabinowski. The Grabster. Yes, indeed. Uh, And Chuck, I believe you have some listener mail. Yep, listener mail time. Okay, Josh, uh, I do have an email, and I will file this under exceptional fan mail, because it's one of my favorites. Nice. It's from our old friend Molly in Manchester, Connecticut. Hey, Molly. Hey, Molly. And uh, Molly may not be hearing this right away, though, and this is the reason why. Oh, Uh, yeah. Molly writes in, says she loves the podcast, and uh, she is actually going to West Africa to serve in the Peace Corps for two years which is a great thing to do. Yes, it is. We're very proud of Molly for that. And she's told that there isn't much hope of having uh, continuous uh, continuous wireless internet in her mud hut. <laughs> so uh, she says she gets a thrill from uh, listening to our cast, and so she's actually going to save them up and for a period of many months. And so when she gets to Africa in the Peace Corps, she can listen to them uh, one after the other and, uh, on her little iPod. And uh, we, she says she, I know it seems a little extreme, I don't think so, Molly. I think it's a great idea. Seriously. And uh, I think that the hours and hours of new stuff I should know to listen to when I'm feeling in the need of intelligent, humorous banter might be worth the sacrifice. So uh, I've actually corresponded with Molly a couple of times by email. Oh, and, yeah? Yep. Wished her luck and told her uh, to send us some updates from uh, the Peace Corps and let us know how things are going. Yeah, good luck, Molly. So that's uh, exceptional fan mail for yeah. today. Well, uh, if you want to send us some fan mail... No matter whether you're in the Peace Corps or just, you know, some working schlub, we don't care. We make no judgments. We love all of you. We're working schlubs. Exactly. You can send that to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF. 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. 
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.